I have this conversation with my wife all the time. I'm going to write a book, my memoirs. Chapter one will be on coming second. <laughs> yeah, it'll be the one that got away. Hello and welcome to MVP, the marketer's most valuable perspective, a podcast by Dear Storyteller and State of Social. We are recording live at Optus Stadium. You can see it in the background. I do that every episode. You're probably tired of it by now, but there we go. Um, it's a special one, State of Social 2022. We are about to, for the next 20 minutes, dive into the most valuable perspectives of none other uh, than the one and only Mr. Miles Pollard. It's not every day that I get to speak to a movie star and an Aussie icon, so thank you for being here, Miles. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Um, you are about to speak about persuasion. Yep. to the state of social attendees today. Something I know from personal experience is so tantamount to everything that happens in business and marketing. And Miles, I'm about to drop a bomb on you. <laughs> As someone with an acting background myself, yep. uh, who then gravitated towards marketing, I'm personally fascinated by how you found yourself here teaching these specific skills to this particular audience as well. Could you tell us a bit of the background about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's something you're familiar with as well as a performer, as an artist, as an actor. You know, there's a lot of crossover skills. I mean, you find yourself as an actor selling a project uh, on radio, uh, on television. You might find yourself on the morning show or the Today Show at six in the morning. You know, a cup of coffee often isn't enough. <laughs> uh, breakfast radio, really fast. Lots of really... Uh, strong expectations in terms of what you're, you're expected to deliver in terms of messaging, marketing for the, for the show you're in, for the play you're in, for the film you're in. But at the same time, you've got this heightened environment. Breakfast radio is the hardest because there's an expectation that you have to be funny <laughs> and entertaining as okay. well. And so they're speaking and they're entertaining the whole time and you're having to find the opportunistic moment to to slip in with some of the information that, that you need to deliver. Mm -hmm. So I think that side of the industry is, is a real, uh, it's a university degree mm. performance, really. So I can see where the crossover is in this marketing communication space. People have limited attention spans, minimal time, and there's a lot of competition in terms of what's been sold. So you've got to break through, right? You've got to cut through. Mm. And I think... I think actors are, are pretty good at consolidating messages and connecting with messages yes. authentically, quickly. Yes. Finding a way to drop it and make it real for you. I guess the, the, the lingo in the acting world would be sort of substitution, right? If you don't personally connect to a message, you find a way to bring it to something more personal in That's your life. That's it. And, it. and it doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to be passionate, right? Yeah. And especially in this day and age where everything is so... It's so micromanaged, it's so polished. I mean, we were talking before about finding, you know, concepts and ideas in marketing, in the marketing world that, that don't look like marketing. They don't look like an advert because mm. people, people have cottoned on. People Absolutely. are saturated with information. So the skill set of being able to consolidate a message quickly and authentically very powerful. Powerful in politics too, right? Mm, absolutely. Well, so so I think what you're saying a little bit is that you were kind of indoctrinated into the world of marketing through acting because of that need to promote your work and get things off the ground and, and hustle and be on radio and things like that. What about indoctrinating marketers into the world of acting? How, <laughs> how has that gone so far for you? What, what are some of your key kind of thoughts, feelings, philosophies around that kind of heading into a talk <coughs> like today? Well, I think, I think the starting point is to, to – is to, 
there's a few um, fallacies out there that the performers and actors are really confident mm. and we're not. We're archetypically, we're quite shy. Mm. We're reflective. We're emotionally reactive. Mm. You know, we get triggered easily. We're encouraged to do that. Um, so we're shy archetypically. So for me, sitting down here with you, with a microphone in front of me and two cameras, that's not a comfortable situation. So I think what I'm trying to help marketers with is is the idea that it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to find this environment uncomfortable. But how do you become comfortable in that uncomfortable environment so that you can deliver messages really confidently and clearly and and influence people? And there's a whole process, just technical process. It's not too abstract or bohemian. It's, it's actually quite scientific to be able to get yourself into a comfortable position so that you can perform in that moment. That's what I want to try and impart to some of these marketing people. I love that. Adam Ferrier had a, a point yesterday when he was talking, um, marketer from Thinkabell over in the East, East Coast, and he said that, um, and he says this in his book, that weakness uh, is often a better tool for positioning your business than strength. Because if somebody is perfect and capable and just consistent the entire way through with no chinks in the armour, they, they can come across as kind of cold mm. and unapproachable. Mm. Whereas if you have a mistake, it can actually kind of make you more likeable in a way. Completely. Like if fallibility is human, yeah. right? And no one cares if you make a mistake if you don't care. But what we tend to do habitually is when we the brain inner monologue, the way we think, you know, you've got an inner monologue going on at the moment. It's like, who's coming up next? How much battery time have I got in the cameras? When's my session? I think it's in, we're thinking the whole time. But sometimes that inner monologue can self-sabotage. You, you can become crippled by some of these negative feelings. So if you feel you made a mistake, what, we, what people tend to do, the layman at least, is showcase that mistake. Mm. Put up a few red flags, mm. either physically or emotionally, it's to tell the audience that you uh, made a mistake and that you're apologetic. Right. But in the acting world, we learn very quickly to, to filter, to be able to, to, to not show some of that mm. so that you can continue with your messaging. Mm. People still see the fallibility. They see the mistake. They see you stutter. They see you searching for the next idea, the Sometimes whole bit. It's that, it's that ability to make it part of it. Yeah. Like make the mistake part of the world. Um, last year, it's the last year here at State of Social during my workshop, there was a slide that I presented on Worldview uh, where <laughs> before we'd, we'd done the presentation, Claire and I had sat down and she'd said, you need to take out all, a lot of this text. You know it. You don't need it up there. Don't read it. Took out all the text on this slide and we got to it and I just blanked. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, oh, that's fine. Don't worry. We'll come back to it. Yeah. <laughs> we came back to it at, at the end. Nobody was talking about the worldview slide. It was yeah. fine. They had a great time. The world will keep turning and, you know, that people can relate to it because it reminds them of their own humanness. Miles, you've been described in the past as someone who brings an incredibly positive energy with them into a room. And I have no idea if that's something that you feel like you've learned how to teach. <laughs> but that idea of presence and that idea of energy... I feel is incredibly important when it becomes to building relationships with other humans quickly, which is so much of what I believe persuasion is about. Are there any kind of conscious ways in which you feel like you've been able to train yourself uh, to control the energy that you bring into a room? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, for someone like me who 
you know, for, for most of my life I was probably, um, uh, I wasn't as open-minded and, um, I don't know, selfless as I'd like to have been. I think it, the skills of being able to take your attention off yourself and actually be really interested in what people have to say mm. and have the capability to, to actively listen and find it interesting and not be concerned with what you're not doing has taken me, you know, quite a long time to develop. But as soon as I've, I've learned that, it's really powerful, especially for someone like me. I'm quite shy archetypically. I'm quite reserved and reflective. So being able to technically observe and look for changes, and I learned this as a filmmaker in the editing process. Mm. You watch how they cut a film together, a TV show or an advertising campaign. It's on the changes. It's not on the constant. It's, mm. it's when someone reacts or someone shifts. It's the pivot that's interesting. Yeah. So for me, and I'll be talking about this in my workshop today, is if you observe changes in people, like you smiled, you nodded, and your behaviour's changing, now you're feeling a little self-conscious and now you went to your thing. So I'm now not thinking of me. I'm thinking of you. It's good, ladies and gentlemen, it's good. And, and that's it. And it's a really simple tactic, but yeah. it's, it's a tactic not just in terms of being able to engage people or you called it presence, and, and, but it's about, it's about helping you stay present and stay connected with what's happening in the moment because it's in the moment that things, that's where the gold happens. Mm. I mean, I'm getting shivers now thinking about it because I know that intrinsically that it's, it's the mistakes, it's the things that you can't predict that happen in the moment that are exciting, not just creatively or imaginatively or socially, politically. It's the, it's the unattainable, right? It's the chaos that's interesting. That's so fascinating. I remember this story back in drama school where uh, they talked about this ho- this sort of horrible rendition of the Scottish play. We're not in a theatre, mm. so Macbeth uh, being rehearsed and, and that all of the performances were so canned and then all of a sudden in the middle of this rehearsal, uh, the actor playing Macbeth froze and then went, Fuck! <laughs> and <laughs> everyone looked around. The director said that was the most interesting thing that happened yeah. today because yeah. you were really in the moment. There yeah. were real stakes, totally. and I think that idea of turning your attention off of yourself and onto somebody else, having that being in the here and now, not worrying about the future, not worrying about the past, is so uh, important to communication. I think you're right on. Thanks, Mike. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to ask two more questions specific to you, and then we're going to jump into our quick fire questions. Um, Perth has a pretty good pedigree when it comes to producing talented actors. And obviously your con- contribution to that is no exception. McLeod's daughters, X-Men, Looking for Grace, Jasper Jones. You're a Perthian who has spread his wings, got out, seen the world, and then you've come back. And I was just wondering if you could share with us a little bit about our home, what you love about it and why you came back. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, born and bred in WA, born in Perth, lived up in the northwest, towns like Caratha, Port Hedland, Onslow, Wyndham, little town called Myling, son of uh, two teachers. So there's something about the landscape and the geography that, you know, it, it shapes you, right? It's, it's Darwinism. It's, you become your landscape almost. And, and we are such a big state and it's such a beautiful state and such a raw state and rugged and... And, and unpolished and 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 there's just there's it's dangerous but it's beautiful at the same time i think if historically you know western australians we had to leave home to go and to to see the world it's a long way to go it's to go to sydney at least at the start of my career you needed to travel to melbourne or to sydney to start a career so there's 
there's something inherent about our adventurous spirit, our need to sort of cross the Nullarbor to, to go and see the world and to make something of us. Um, so I think I love that. I love, I love this state. I think it's so irreverent. I think that's a really big part of my nature is it's, it's, it's just knockabout, you know, like you – I don't think it tolerates fools as much as many other places do in the world. I've got a brother I love dearly. He's coming over actually with his family in September and he's lived in New York and California and all over the world and, and it's just a different vibe. Like, you know, different places have different cultural sort of fabrics and Perth is unique in that sense – um, whether it's a big country town, mate, whether it lacks a little bit of sophistication, I don't know, but it, I know one thing, it's real. Mm. I love that. Tourism WA, if you're listening, <laughs> uh, next campaign, uh, lock it in. Um, <laughs> yeah, was, it sounded like awesome. a campaign, didn't it? <laughs> no, it, sounded, that, it was eloquent. You talked about actors being able to distill ideas into a nice microcosm. That was beautiful. Um, okay, uh, my last question before we jump into the quick fires. Um, Miles, I'm not going to lie. Um, this is a little bit of a stitch up. Okay, here we go. Look out. But I know you've just spoken about irreverence and you're a pretty good natured guy. <laughs> so I was wondering if you could tell us the story of the audition for Lord of the Rings. Oh, God. How I know something. Oh, no. <laughs> how close you got and if that moment sticks with you and if you learn to. Oh, look, I have, this, I have this conversation with my wife all the time. I'm going to write a book. My memoirs, chapter one will be on coming second. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be the one that got away. But look, you live and learn by your mistakes. I auditioned for um, Faramir, actually, which was cast by so David Wenham. And um, I didn't know much about it, but I, I did a great audition, went off and did some work with Bell Shakespeare, travelling around, touring Australia, doing an Indigenous version of Romeo and Juliet's Indigenous family, white family. Feeling pretty cocky when I got out of NIDA. I was pretty confident, pretty narcissistic, pretty egocentric, all of it just felt... The, the world was my oyster and it was inevitable, right, uh, that I would be off to Hollywood, all these sorts of, sorts of thoughts. And so I'm waiting for my – I get a call back. So I, they fly me back to, to Mulliners uh, in Sydney and I've got this in the bag. I'm born for this. This is, this is – I'm ready for this. And I knew I did a great job. There was yeah. – there's no question I'd done a great job. And then Peter Jackson was sitting there at the counter at the desk in the casting office with um, his wife Fran – you know, these auteurs, writers, directors, producers, having created one of the, the most mythic, powerful stories of our generation. And the casting agent there as well, I think there was a producer there as well. And the first thing he said to me was, Miles, so what do you think of the books? And I went, oh, I haven't read them, mate, but look, man, <laughs> I get the gig for sure. I'll give him a crack, I'll have a read. Yeah, but, you know, I'd love to be in the project. And I watched him just go white and looked down and I could almost see him putting a red line through my name and that was a very very big lesson for me which was get out of yourself start yeah. thinking about I mean it took me a decade as soon as I started filmmaking myself and started writing and directing and creating and producing to see the scale of these productions oh, yeah. and what it means to someone and why Gosh. they're investing so much time I mean, you want to walk in there as the actor and go, I've read all three books. It's incredible, the story you're telling. It's an allegory. It's going to change the way people think. It's, it's historic. It's mythic. And, and really prove to that person that you should be a part of this journey. So 
That's such an incredible, it's such an incredible story, and it's it's a lesson that I think a lot of actors learn, and that ha- now working with Dear Storyteller, working with the agency that I've worked with, and doing so much stuff behind the scenes, the thing that just more and more I understood as I was on sets and then behind the camera on sets is that every single person mm. cares about their job yeah. just as much as you care about yours, yeah. and I think so often the actors sort of th- think that the buck last with them and yep. I just remember being on one particular set with a DOP in Sydney where he was where he clearly just did not care about the actors whatsoever he was just <laughs> trying to get the shot that's right and it's yeah. like that's what it is yeah. and we all have a part to play and I think that's kind of what's special about it absolutely thank you for sharing that with us oh, that welcome, was awesome man. it's an awesome story <laughs> it's an awesome there's a few story. of those trust me um all right some quick fire questions to wrap things up uh where do you go to learn about I'm gonna open this up business, marketing, communication, or persuasion? I wish I had a more sophisticated answer, but Dr. Google, pretty much. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, I remember when when COVID first hit and a lot of my uh, corporate training work and, and even a lot of the workshops that I run was outsourced through the admin and, you know, the world changed and I decided to do it myself. So I had to learn how to use MailChimp. I had to mm-hmm. learn how to use WordPress and databases and spreadsheets and things like that that actors don't have, know anything about, right? So it was just self-discovery. It was getting online. It was doing workshops. It was, it was researching. And it was trial and error. It was laborious. It was hard. Um, any teachers that made it easy over the course or any standout resources? Not really. Yeah. No, I, I no. feel like I'm, yeah, I've sort of just... On that grind. Yeah, gathered it intermittently. Like it's something it. I'd like to do more of is, is get into that space and... And, and do some more specific um, learning. We'll sort you out. Yeah, sort me out. <laughs> um, what's a small brand you love and why? Oh, so it's not a small brand, but I love it. Mm. Katmandu. Mm. Um, why? Because I just think they nail their story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Am I allowed to talk about another? Sure. Yeah? Why not? I mean, it, it, for me, it, it's also my story. I, I like the adventurousness of it. I like the, uh, I like the um, it, at least in the story of their brandy, the authenticity, the durability. Like, I like things that last. I like things that have been um, created to, to last the test of time. Um, yeah, I, I just think there's a real adventurous spirit to that company, to that brand. I love that. Um, if you could spend four hours with any speaker, communicator or creator in the world, who would you choose and why? doesn't have to be for all time, can just be for today. Uh, I'd like to speak with Barack Obama. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. As a communicator, he's incredible. Incredible. Really amazing. He's, you know, I can't even imagine the, um, the stakes standing there at the UN and talking in front of, you know, 100 cameras being beamed out to a billion people, the geopolitical mm. consequences of a speech. But the way he, he, he delivers information, the way he sits in the pause and the poise of that to breathe and to think, and the way in which he, he changes his range in terms of his pitch and his pace. I mean, these are all technical things. Mm. It's just so engaging. No, it's masterful. You're right. It, it really is. And he seems to have a really... Um, I don't know, some sort of moral backbone going on as well. So, yeah, yeah Barack Obama would be interesting. If you haven't ever had a chance to see it, the Democratic conference uh, in 2004, before he was even announced as running for president, that speech um, 
where he says, you know, there is no blue America, there is no red America, there is the United States of America. It's one of the best speeches I've ever seen in my life. And he does everything that you're talking about there. And the other thing that I love about Barack's style is the way that he weaves his story into a larger kind of narrative as well. Amazing. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, Okay, Uh, last couple of questions. Um, Is there... (laughs) I'm going to go... I'm going to go with this one. Is there an emerging customer behavior that you think will be highly influential over the next decade? Now, I know that this might not be your area of expertise, but even if it is a communication behavior, if it's a style of presenting or if it's something that you're seeing in your space that you think will be influential, some an, an early trend you're picking up on. I, I think, yeah, I, th- I think the nature of the economy and the world economy and, you know, labour supplies, all these sorts of things, geopolitical, what's happening in the world and inflationary pressures and all that, I I think what's going to happen is that consumerism is going to transform. I think people are much more aware of the pitfalls of globalisation and consumerism. So I don't think we were up until about five years ago when we have no manufacturing and suddenly we're, we're cornered, our economy is cornered because we're beholden to other markets mm. and suddenly we're held to ransom because of whatever's happening politically in other countries. So how that translates to a consumer, I think my belief, my hope anyway is at least that people will demand more from their products. I think products will get more expensive. It's also already happening with food, with, with fuel prices and the like, but buying something that's quality that's well. My mum has a, a washing machine that a Maytag bought in America, and I think it was thirty five years ago, and it still goes. It was built to last. Mm. I mean, I remember as a kid having to take the tires off and and the rims off my BMX and clean them and change the gears. That was a part of the process yeah. of owning something. So it owned. So you owned it to last. Yeah. So no I designing to phase out. That's right. Yeah. So what, what are companies going to, to be selling? I think durability, authenticity. And the right to repair, that, that kind of movement yeah. as well, right? Well, look what's, what's happening with Apple. And there was all these uh, legislation changes about what, you know, what, what people, where people can get their Apple phone fixed. And you, know, you, you voided your contract if you got it fixed by someone else. I think that whole, that whole um, legislative thing will affect it as well. I love that. Love that. Uh, okay, uh, last question. When you think of the term prized possession, what's the first branded thing that comes to mind? And while you're thinking about that, the follow-up is, do you remember a specific ad or piece of marketing that convinced you to buy it? Wow, that's a really good question. A prized possession that I bought as a kid or any time. Any time. Why did I buy it? One. Uh, I remember buying a, a Swatch. Remember the Swatches in the yeah. 80s? <laughs> and some and someone else mentioned that? No. No, okay. And it had a, it was transparent and you could see the, the mechanisms. Maybe it's because my grandfather was a watchmaker. There you go. Actually, I remember him giving me a watch too, which was an old analogue watch with a leather band. So maybe I'd, I'd picked up something there through him and that relationship. But I remember the Swatches came out about watches, I mean, the digital interfaces came out too, but having that revolutionary design where you could see everything in, in there, how it works, how it ticks, as a, a showpiece, 
um, it's sort of celebrating the mechanics and its, its efficiency as an aesthetic on its own. I think that lasted with me. I think Swatch needs a, um, <laughs> another campaign as well. They're yeah. <laughs> made by Miles. Do they, Miles. Do they still have Swatches? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> They've got to bring them back. Yeah, um, Miles, this has been uh, an awesome chat. I really appreciate you taking the time to have a sit down and a talk with us. As I said, it doesn't happen every day. Um, we do have this gift for you it's here. It's a Swatch. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, the Dear Storyteller game, Thank the you. concept uh, which we've just released. I'll tell you a little bit more about it off camera. Thank you, Mike. Um, is there any way in which our audience can can keep up with you and, and what you're up to and any projects that you're working yeah, on? Yeah, sure. They can they get onto milespollard.com.au. I'm doing some some work with the Advertising Council too, um, some workshops. We've got some some workshops coming up here in Perth uh, and also running them in, in Sydney and Melbourne and the Eastern States. So, yeah, check out my website. Amazing. Thank you so much uh, for joining us for another episode of MVP, the marketer's most valuable perspective. Give us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this chat and we'll see you next time. Yeah.